Do you have a passion for creating? Do you paint, write, sculpt, knit, or do any of the thousands of things that make someone a creator? Do you dream of one day turning your passion into a career or lucrative side hustle? If you do, the Being Creative Podcast is for you. We will talk to creators and learn how they went from hopeful hobbyists to thriving professionals. Episode 5. Welcome back to the Being Creative Podcast. This week, I want to talk about something that was kind of a subtext in just about every interview I've done so far, and that is the idea or the myth of the overnight success. The reason I say it was a subtext in the conversation I've had is we never really particularly talked about it. We never talked about how the perception of successful creators is that they just popped up out of nowhere and eventually became this successful person. The reason I thought this was important is during my conversation with Jake from J. Caleb Design and Brian Meeks, we talked about how much time and energy they put into the businesses that they had built. While Brian Meeks downplayed it, Jake really gave us an insight into the many, many hours that he had to work during the beginning of his business, working from after dinner or after he put the, the kids down and spent some time with his wife all the way till about 2 a.m. every day. The time that he put in during that period in his business growth is probably the reason he's successful today. And it wasn't just the work. It wasn't that he was just doing the same exact thing that he does now. He was putting in the time to learn his craft, to improve his craft. And that's something I wanted to talk about today because I think it's an important lesson for all creators or all business people or entrepreneurs or whatever, anyone who wants to run their own business and make their own living in this world. I think the idea that people somehow are just going to have this lucky, you know, break and without all of the sacrifice that goes behind it. We always hear about the lucky break. We hear about the book that was published and was an overnight success. We hear about the actor who, oh, this is their first starring role and they blew it, you know, they blew it out of the water. Or we hear about, I don't know, different painters who pop up on the scene and they, you know, they're the new phenom and they popped up overnight. What we don't hear about is the decade or two decades or more of work, the grind every single day that these people had to go through to get to that quote unquote overnight success. For example, let's use, I don't know, someone really famous, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. He's the perfect example of this, I think. He's one of the highest grossing actors of all time. Like all time. He has like over 150 acting credits on IMDb. So he started acting in his 20s, but he didn't actually get his big break until he was in his 40s. That's two decades. You know, he's he's played smaller parts in really big movies like Goodfellas, Jungle Fever. And his big break actually came the one that basically made it to where he could call it and he became an everyday face or name is Pulp Fiction. And then he's played in, I don't know how many, I think five of Quentin Tarantino's films since. But before then, he worked in many, many different movies or plays or anything. 
just to get his name out there. He did decades of work to become that quote-unquote overnight success. While I was thinking about this whole idea of the overnight success or the myth of the overnight success, I did a little research and I looked at, you know, things to help people get over this idea, things to help small business owners and creators and whoever get over this idea that this really exists, overnight success, and how to deal with it in your own business or hobby or whatever. And I I ran across a um, idea or a concept of it. I'm thinking of the long building or struggle before the big break as kind of this valley of death. So I thought this was an interesting idea. So think about it. You're just walking through this really long valley. And if you stop, if you give up, you die. When you die, basically your career dies, your creative idea, your concept dies. So you go on and you get yourself a day job doing whatever else. And then you're no longer trying to build a creative business until maybe you try again later. But this idea of the valley of death was very interesting to me. And it made sense when I read through this, these different articles about it and came up with the three or four different things to think about while you're going through this big, long struggle before your big break or before you can make a living out of this. And that's what I want to talk about right now. So in a lot of the writing groups I'm a part of, we ask a lot of questions and the community gives answers. And there's one thing I, I see probably more than anything else. And it's someone who's pretty new to writing. And they make a post asking, you know, I don't know what's wrong. I've tried everything. I've read all of the advice and I've gone through all of the steps. And I've done the marketing how everyone tells me I should do my marketing. I have great book covers. My book descriptions are great. But I'm still not seeing the success I want to see. I write in a genre that's really popular. You know, my style is really close to the bestsellers. I just really don't know what's going on. And I'm really frustrated at this point. And my initial reaction to this complaint is, well, first is to look at their um their pages or look at their uh, author profile. And then the second thing I want to do, I don't always do it, but second thing I do is I download a sample of their book. On Amazon, you can get a sample of most books that are in the Kindle program. But I'll go in and I'll download like the sample and it's usually, you know, a couple chapters and I'll read it. And nine times out of 10, I know exactly why the person's book is not selling. Why when I read that sample? It's because the last place that most people ever want to look to blame or find something that they want to improve is themselves. Like I've seen this, you know, a dozen times at least where I see people complain about book sales and then I go and check out a chapter and I'm just not engaged. It's a boring book or maybe the it's just not. It's just not enough to keep me in the book. I'll take the sample, I'll read it, but I'm not going to download the book. I'm not going to buy the book. I don't say this to be mean. I, I say this because, you know, my conversation with Jake from J. Caleb Design, he knew that his covers weren't good enough when he started, but he practiced 
And he continued to bid on jobs through the, you know, the crowdsourcing platforms. And occasionally you would get one and then he'd improve and he'd do more research on the tools that he was using and learn to use them better and develop his own style over time. That It's the same with writing or any other creative endeavor. You're not going to be the best writer you're ever going to be in your first book or your first attempts at series or or anything like that. Hopefully, if you are self-aware enough and you really are taking this seriously, you're going to be you're going to be a better and better and better writer as time goes on. I even look at it right now. I'm currently writing my seventh or eighth book and I I honestly can't read my first book. Uh, um, it's published and it sells well. It sells enough. But I, I, if I read it right now, I'd want to re-edit it and I'd want to rewrite it and do that. And maybe eventually one day I'll do that. I don't know, but probably not because that's typically a waste of time. But what I am doing is every time I'm writing and I'm getting feedback from readers and editors, I'm using that feedback to improve my process. So the first step of getting through that valley of death is to evaluate the reality of your, your situation. Why are you not having the success right now? Is it that, you know, maybe your marketing's not good. Maybe you're terrible at networking. That's pretty common with a lot of creators. Take my word from it. I've tried to get many people on this podcast that have literally responded to me saying, you know, I'm just really not comfortable talking to people in public or anything like that. And I do what I do because I'm a very solitary person and I'd rather not. But I really appreciate the offer. I would probably say about 50% of the invitations that I send out for an interview come back like that. And that's perfectly fine. I totally understand. I'm kind of an introvert myself and I'm not very comfortable talking like this either. Part of this project is for me to get more comfortable doing it. So I guess step one would be you really need to look at everything and you you have to go to those uncomfortable places. Like for me, I'm terrible at grammar. It's amazing. Like it's amazing I can even read, to be honest, with the amount of grammar that I didn't know when I started writing. But every time I sit down and I write and I edit, I pick something, something new that I want to learn. And I try and teach myself something new every day so that I can improve. I also sometimes have issues with my marketing and I'm working on a marketing issue right now. But I'm being totally honest with myself at every point during this struggle is, you know, all of this is in my hands. None of it is in my opinion, is going to be due to luck. Even if I get a big break one day, and I hope I do, but who knows, I might not. I hope that, or I I suspect that it won't be like someone just, it fell out of the sky and landed on me. It'll probably be because I knew the right person or I, you know, someone felt obligated or something to give me a break because I helped them with something or maybe someone that I don't know read my book and they're like, wow, I really like this and I think it has potential and I really want to help support this person. But it's probably going to come from a lot of hard work, a lot of time and a lot of effort. So that's really step one, just being really honest with yourself about the reality of your situation. And the second 
thing that you need to be aware of when trying to get through this valley of death is being overly ambitious. That can be really dangerous. I don't know for a fact, but, you know, Stanley, pretty much everybody knows who Stanley is now. Um, the creator of Marvel, the MCU, all of that. Well, he started in the comic industry when he was 17 years old. You know, he worked every job. He filled ink pots for pens, you know, brought in lunch, coffee breaks, all this different stuff. That's how he started. Do you think he was sitting there going, I'm going to be, you know, the head author next year? I doubt he was that overly ambitious. He wanted to learn the industry before he actually became successful. I've seen interviews with him. There was a lot going on that, you know, is behind the scenes, him learning everything. And it paid off. In 1961, when he was 39 years old, he had his first big hit. I have kind of a personal example of this. It wasn't really in a creative business, but it was in an entrepreneurial business. Several years ago, I was essentially the general manager of a business. I'm not going to go into too much detail because it's really not important. But prior to me working at this business, they had been losing money hand over fist. Like, I'm talking thousands of dollars a month they were losing it. And the owner, he was in a very, you know, comfortable position. He had a main business, his big business, where he'd become very successful at and knew exactly, you know, in his own right, he had built that business and made millions off of it. But this other business that I got hired to help with was his passion project. It was something that he loved and wanted to grow over time. But unfortunately, he his ambitions were a little bit too dangerous and a little unrealistic. They were overly, he was overly ambitious. And what I mean by that is the moment we started breaking even and after, you know, several months of a lot of hard work and a lot of reevaluation, me and the team, we all got this business to where we were making a little bit of a profit every month. It still wasn't a huge amount, but it was better than losing thousands of dollars a month. Well, the moment this happened, the owner started setting these growth goals that were completely unrealistic. Some of these goals, we, you know, we had square footage and we had so many people could work within that square footage. We literally, if we wanted to meet those goals, we wouldn't have been able to fit the people into the current space that we had. And we had no intention of moving to a new facility. It all came from a very positive place. He, you know, he felt excited about the current success we were having and he wanted to grow it and he wanted to take that momentum that we had and make the business into something great. But the problem was it, it was just too much and we never hit our growth goals ever. Like every month that we were, you know, we'd have these management meetings, we'd come back with our metrics from the month and it was always disappointing. Eventually, the people that work there started getting upset about it, started getting annoyed and frustrated by not being able to hit the goals that we were setting and also being frustrated by the goals we were being given. It just wasn't realistic. And think about it from your point of view. If you own this small business, I don't know, making, I don't know, quilts, you know, that's an actual industry. So people make a decent living off of making quilts or making fabric for quilts. If every month you have these grand goals of, you know, 
10, 20, 30, 40% growth month over month. And that's really what our goals were for this business I worked in. And you're never going to hit those realistically. What does that do to your motivation? What what does that do to your outcome? Like, does that make you think you can wake up one day and like, oh yeah, this is going to be, you know, I'm going to be successful at this. I don't know where you would base that belief on because so far you haven't been successful because you've been overly ambitious on every goal that you've had. In my opinion, and a lot of other experts' opinions, is you need to set realistic goals. You need to set things that are attainable. These have to be goals that, you know, they don't have to be like, oh, one new client or sell one new whatever widget that you make as a creator. Sell one new book a day. You know, that's attainable. That's very attainable. And honestly, it's not much of a goal. You're not reaching for anything. But if I'm currently selling 10 books a day and I say, okay, by the end of the month, I want to be selling 100 books a day how likely do you think it is that I'm actually going to reach that goal? And then what is that going to do to my kind of mindset about my business to begin with? So, you know, having those overly ambitious goals are dangerous, especially to creators or people starting smaller businesses. You need to be more realistic and you have to be, I guess, When you attain smaller goals, it's exciting and it helps you drive and it gives you a feeling of success. But if you're constantly overreaching, you're just constantly in a point, you know, in a mindset of failure. So I hope you understand that. The third thing I wanted to talk about, which is overreacting. So this is a weird one and it may not happen in every business. It hasn't really happened in mine or any of the creative stuff I've done. But overreacting is something that happens on a lot of startups that I see. And I guess if I want to think about it from a point of view of a a writer is overreacting like is something like, you know, you're all in or, you know, get out of here. You're not serious about it. You see that. I've actually read several articles about startups and tech industries where CEOs or founders will go around to employees and being like, are you in or are you out? And basically in means you're going to be working here, but you're not going to get paid for it or out means you're gone. And, you know, if anyone asked me that question and I was just working somewhere and I didn't have, you know, shares in the business or I didn't have a great belief in the success of the business because I hadn't seen it, I'd be like, well, I'm out. I'm going to go get a different job or start my own thing. When I look at writing, the same thing can be said for like a series. Most authors today, or at least most independent authors, write books in series. And it might not be like the same character, but it might be the same theme. You see this a lot in romance where it might be, you know, small town romance. And a lot of the stories are connected, but the main characters might not be the same between books. Regardless of that, a lot of people start series because that's how you make money in writing as an independent author one-off books don't typically pay the bills. So when you're writing a series and maybe the sales just are not that good and you write the first book and it, you know, the launch goes okay, but it's not blowing anyone's socks off. And then you write book two and you launch that and you know, your sales might pick up, they might not. And then you write book three and usually say, you know, the third book is where traffic starts coming in and maybe yours does, but it's not that impressive. Maybe 
it's your first series or second series and it's just not reaching those goals that you wanted. Well, overreacting can be maybe you're like, I've written this series, I've committed to this series, I'm going to finish this series, I'm going to write, you know, I had an idea for nine books, I'm going to write those books because, you know, I'm all in, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm taking it seriously, I'm overreacting to the situation or my commitment. Because if you're more level-headed, you look at that and go, okay, I've written three books. Obviously, the market is not reacting to my books well. I'm getting good reviews, maybe, maybe I have a readership, but instead of the, you know, thousand dollars a month I thought I'd be making, I'm making a hundred. Is a hundred dollars a month worth your time to write books four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine? Or should you reevaluate the situation in the series and maybe say, okay, well, I can wrap up this series by book five or six. You know, you need to be able to reevaluate and you need to not overreact to the market. So that's, you know, essentially, if you want to put it a different way is keep a level head. You need to evaluate what you're doing constantly, not just for improvement, but for business decisions. So if I have a podcast, let's say like this one, and I do, I don't know, 25 episodes, and I find that no one is listening to this podcast then I'm going to reevaluate and maybe I'm going to go, okay, well, maybe I need to change the format and I'll play with the format a little bit. And then 20 episodes later or five episodes later, I still find that no one is listening to the podcast. Well, I have a decision to make. Do I want to continue with this? Am I being stubborn or do I want to say, okay, I gave it a good shot. Maybe I need to do something different. If this podcast doesn't succeed, it doesn't mean I'm going to stop podcasting or stop doing any type of creative stuff. It just means that I'm probably going to do a different project. And any point in a business, you're going to have to make that decision. You have to do it with a level head. Not everything is successful, but you can be successful if you don't overreact, if you're not overly ambitious, and you understand the reality of your situation. I hope you understand that. And I hope, I hope it made sense. Anyway, also all of this, this big long valley of death that I'm thinking about and I'm envisioning in my mind is this long, slow walk through, you know, a hellish type environment to get to that success on the other end of it is all of this hardship, these evaluations, these reactions and ambition and everything, those are making me who I'm going to be when I'm successful. So the hardship that I endure or that you endure is going to success. It's going to shape that successful person in your future. So think about another example, um, completely different example, Vera Wang. She's famous for making wedding dresses. Did you also know that she was a professional ice skater? And when she didn't make it to the Olympic team, she started a career in fashion and got a job at Vogue. She later went on to Ralph Lauren, and then she started her own brand when she was 40 years old. Do you think she could have started that brand? Do you think she would have been the person she needed to be to start the Vera Wang brand right after she didn't make the Olympic team? 
she also got passed up as the editor for Vogue. That's why she went to Ralph Lauren. She had successes and she had failures, but the those hardships shaped her into the person she is so that she could become successful in the industry. Every creator experiences ups and downs. One of my favorite kind of nonfiction authors is a... Uh, he, uh, Dean Wesley Smith, he writes a lot of books about the art of writing and the business of writing and all of this other stuff. And he writes this book called Writing into the Dark. And it's about the process of writing without an outline. We, you know, Western society, we've been taught through our schooling to outline everything and then deconstruct and try and figure out why things were successful. You know, we all deconstructed the grapes of wrath or, I don't know, the old men in the sea when we were in high school or whatever. And we tried to deconstruct it and figure out why it was a good book. Honestly, Steinbeck and Hemingway did not sit around and write an outline to write the next great American novel. They wrote them. No one of that generation or most successful authors that I know of, you don't hear about all of their outlining. They may have outlined. They might not have. But Dean Wesley Smith has this book and he talks about that. But I'm getting too far afield here. He, um, he's been writing for decades and I've listened to interviews with him and read, read articles from him. And he's been through ups and downs in his career. It's like five different times where it was, he was prolific. And then the next day, no one had heard of him. And then he was prolific again in a certain genre up and down and up and down. And as a creator, that's a part of the game. That's a part of the business. So those struggles that you're going to go through during that time are going to make you into the person that's going to be successful in that next upswing. I hope that all makes sense. And I, I hope it's at least a little interesting and potentially encouraging for you as a creative and someone who might want to eventually start a creative business or even a part-time creative business. And I want to leave you with something else. And it's kind of connected to the reality of the situation and your ambition and, you know, reacting to the situation of your business and everything is, you know, finding motivation in the stuff that you've already done. And I guess um, ongoing motivation and how I get this and how I see it is two ways. One is from feedback, reviews, emails that I get from readers. Most of them, I would say 99% of the things that I get back from readers are positive. You know, my books don't have a lot of reviews right now. And that's a completely different story. And we can talk about that later. But the reviews that I do have are very good. I have, you know, mostly four and five star reviews. When I get a new review or I get an email of encouragement or saying, you know, the last one that I got that was really great was, I just got your book last night. Thanks a lot. Couldn't put it down. Now I have to go to work and I'm completely tired. You know, that didn't sound positive, but it was along with a five-star review. And it was a little sarcastic and I really appreciate that. So that, you know, that's a, not a super tangible thing. But if I also want to look at it, and one thing that helps me motivate myself, and it sounds a little mercenary, but it's my paycheck. When I look back at jobs that I had, say my career in higher ed, 
I got a direct deposit check every two weeks or every month, depending on the institution I worked for. Did I sit down and, you know, look at that money and everything and go, man, that was all my effort. You know, my creative, you know, efforts really paying off in this paycheck. No. Most of the time I was so annoyed with the bureaucracy of the company that I was working or the institution. I was just, I was given. And, you know, higher ed, people in higher ed, especially administrators, are woefully underpaid, especially the lower tier people. So I never thought about like connecting that money that I made to something great that I was creating because it just wasn't that type of job. And I've had other jobs where I had a little bit more, I guess, um, input into the creative efforts of the business. And I felt a little bit more, you know, ownership or I guess it was a little bit more rewarding. But when I'm writing and I'm selling my books and I see, oh, you know, I just got a direct deposit of however many hundred dollars from Amazon or wherever else, I usually stop and pause and go, oh, wow, you know, I earned that money from my creative ideas, from my imagination, really. All I did was sit down in front of a typewriter and, you know, pour out my soul to you. Just kidding. It's, you know... I wrote a story that I found intriguing and I wanted to read and apparently other people do too. So there's a, there's a bit of a reward in that. It's, it's money that I made because I was, I guess, brave enough. I don't, I don't like using that cause I don't consider myself brave for having self published, but some would, but I had the bravery to put my words out there and be subject to the universe and, you know, the feedback and a very tangible part of that feedback is getting paid for the work I do. So if you're a creator and, you know, I don't know, maybe you're making candles, you know, I have tons of candles around my house or you're making leather goods or you're making pottery and maybe it's not a full-time business. Maybe you're just building your name and your skills and everything. And we'll talk to someone, um, I believe next week, and he has a pottery business and he talks about this a lot. And, you know, maybe you just put your stuff up in a gallery and, you know, you have five different items and someone buys something. And at the end of the month, that shop owner sends you a check for whatever your cut of that is. That's going to feel pretty good. So those little victories, those little wins along the way are what keep me motivated. And, you know, getting good feedback is great. And that paycheck is, you know, a part of that feedback. So I don't want to go on too long. I wanted to keep these reflection interviews close to about a half an hour, which is about half the time of the um, interview episodes. I think I'll wrap it up right there. I hope this episode was at least entertaining, if not helpful and informative. Next week, we'll be talking with a potter, the creator and owner of creativewithclay.com, Charan Sachar. So until then, have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Being Creative Podcast. You can learn more about me and my various projects at www.richardkfox.com. And be sure to hit the subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you're using to be notified of the next episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. And until next time, keep creating.